We meet today in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 11. We are looking at Paul's tender feelings for the Philippians. Paul begins the body of his letter in a very lovely manner, which reveals the sweet relationship between Paul and the Philippian believers. That is the way it ought to be today among believers, especially between the pastor and the congregation. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Philippians 1 verse 3 Every time anybody would mention Philippi, Paul would just thank God for the believers there. That is something really quite wonderful. And how wonderful it would be to have a church like the Philippian church. And how wonderful to be the kind of a person about which it can be said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. If Paul hadn't said anything else about his relationship to this church, this would have been enough to reveal how special it was. You can check the other epistles. He didn't say this to the other churches, certainly not about the Galatians or the Corinthians. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, Oh, with joy. Philippians 1 verse 4. Always. That was his practice. It's not just sometimes. Always in every prayer, Paul remembered the Philippian believers. The phrase, for you all, makes it very clear that Paul was speaking to all the saints who were at the church, the corporate body in the local church. Now, when we reach the final chapter of this epistle, we will find that there was a little ripple discord between two women in the Philippian church, Syntyche and Eudias. So Paul at the very beginning was very careful to include all the saints in order that one group wouldn't say to the other, he was writing to us and not to you. What is he doing? Making requests with joy. Now, Bengal said that the sum of this epistle is, I rejoice, rejoice. Now, we recognize what a remarkable expression this is when we consider where Paul was when he wrote. He was in Rome in prison. He was probably not in the best of the prison at that time, but he was in a place where Things were very disagreeable, equally disagreeable. It was not the best of places. Although the word joy happens to appear 19 times in this epistle, I actually have never felt that it should be called the joy epistle. If we are going to pick out the word that occurs more than any other word, we must actually pick the name Jesus Christ. His name appears over 40 times in this epistle. In other words, he is the center of the epistle. He is the one who is the very source of joy, by the way. Therefore, the emphasis should be put upon him rather than upon joy. As we shall see, the philosophy of Christian living has to do with Christ. The pattern has to do with Christ. The prize of Christian living has to do with Christ, and the power has to do with him as well. 
Actually, it is a personal relationship with Christ that brings joy to the believer's life. We try to produce joy in the church by external means. We have a program and we tell people, come and you will enjoy it. We try to introduce the latest type of music to make people joy. We have a banquet. People enjoy banquets. So we have joy, we say. Actually, joy does not depend upon outward circumstances. Real joy depends upon the inward condition of the individual. It depends on the proper attitude toward life. If you are complaining and winning about your lot in life, certainly you will not be experiencing joy. You may be able to go to a church banquet and have a little fun, but that will not be joy. When you and I get to the place where we find ourselves in the center of the will of God and know we are in his will regardless of our circumstances, then there will be joy in our lives. Paul said, Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. The prayer time was not an ordeal for Paul here. He didn't say, Oh, I've got to go through the ordeal of praying for those people again. No, no. That was not his attitude. He said, As I am here in jail, it is a lot of fun to pray for you, Philippians. It brings joy to my heart. Instead of complaining, instead of worrying about my condition, joy actually comes to my heart when I pray for you. Now having told them, he thanked God for them. He gives the reason. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 1 verse 5. You see, we have come to the very important word in this epistle. That word, fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship. He thanked God and he had joy. He prayed for them because they had fellowship. We do not want to pass over this word, fellowship. This word is used widely in the church and outside the church, by the way. I don't think that most people really know what the word means. And therefore, they don't use it properly. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means that which believers can share of the things of Christ. There are three elements that must enter into it, spiritual communication, sympathetic cooperation, and sweet communion. Spiritual communication is sharing the things of Christ. This would be sharing the great truths concerning Christ, that is the word of God. Sympathetic cooperation means working together for Christ. That is why Paul used the word fellowship. He could be talking about Bible reading or Bible study together or prayer or celebrating the, the Lord's Supper or taking up an offering. Paul called all these communion fellowships. Even when people join together to make the gospel go to other areas, to other parts of the world, that is a sympathetic cooperation. It's still fellowship. It's a partnership. The result would be sweet communion. Sweet communion makes us partners with Christ. And that is true koinonia. Paul wrote that this church was having fellowship with him. He had communicated with them the gospel. They had shared with Paul 
in a sympathetic corporation, they had sent a gift to him and had ministered to his physical needs again and again. Then, when they were together, they had sweet communion. Isn't it amazing? This is amazing, my friend. From the first day until now, you see, Paul had enjoyed wonderful fellowship with them. From the first day, that day, he had met Lydia and her group praying by the riverside. Their fellowship began. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 6. Now, the day of Jesus Christ is a reference here to the return of Christ. Paul's confidence concerning the Philippians' ability to remain in a state of salvation until that day is not based on his estimate of them, though that estimate is obviously high also, but it is based on the power of God to perform in them a good work, bringing it to completion. This is the basis of all confidence in the continuing nature of salvation. Being confident is causative and could be translated, since I am confident of this very thing. You see, Paul knew what he was talking about. He who began a good thing will complete it. He who began will complete it. The word for complete here means carry through. He will consummate what he began until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I today are not living in the day of the Lord. We are not living in the day of the Old Testament. We are not living in the day of the millennium. We are not living in the day of eternity. We are living in the day of Jesus Christ. That day will be consummated when he comes to take his own out of this world. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you and me until that day of redemption. Until then, you can count upon God to consummate whatever he intends for you. He is going to see it through. How wonderful is the prospect? My friend, let me ask you this question. Is this practical for you and me? I don't know what your circumstances are, but if you are a child of God, I am sure you can testify that God has brought you up to the present moment, hasn't he? Can't you look back over your life and see how he has led you and provided for you? Then, why should you be concerned about tomorrow? Do you think he is going to let you down now? Trust in the Lord. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Philippians 1 verse 7. Partakers with me of grace brings us back to the word fellowship. It is koinonia with a preposition that intensifies it, meaning being all wrapped up together. You may remember that lovely Abigail used words when she talked to David, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. 
First Samuel 25 verse 29. Now Paul is saying that he and the Philippians are all bound up together as partners in the gospel. That is amazing. This is what I mean when I say that there were tender feelings of the Apostle Paul for this church at Philippi. He was closer to them than to any other church. It's so wonderful to have Christian friends like this who are sharing the great enterprise of getting the word of God. There is that sympathetic cooperation besides the spiritual communication and it always produces sweet communion. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 verse 8. This is really a marvelous statement. Paul says that he longs for all of them in the tender feelings, with the tender feelings of Jesus Christ. Actually, it is quite accurate to use the word affection for tender feelings. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Philippians 1 verse 9 There is a lot of silly talking about the word love. Doesn't Jesus say in his holy word that we are to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us? Of course he said that. But we need to notice to whom he said it. The Lord Jesus had some very harsh things to say about the religious rulers of his day. He said, You belong to your father the devil, and you will do the desires of your father. John 8 verse 14 He also said, You brood of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Matthew 23 verse 33 He called the devil their father, and a snake their mother. I don't think any person could be more extreme. So what is going on? Paul prays that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That is discernment. We are to love all believers in Christ. Some of the believers are a little difficult to love. Some of our friends are even difficult to love. We need to love the unlovely, but we are to love with knowledge and with discernment. That does not mean we just let our love slop over on every side. It is to abound with discernment. Paul says to let your love abound more and more and let it abound in judgment. Let it abound in being able to discern. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, Till the day of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 10. Now approve is a word used for testing metal in order to find it genuine. The day of Christ will be a time of judgment. But as the recipients of the epistles have a personal relationship with the judge himself, they need not fear eternal separation from God. Their works, however will be judged according to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. So Paul urges that they approve and practice those things which would show them to be sincere and without offense in that day. When Paul says that you may approve the things that are excellent, he means that you need to try the things that differ. 
This has to do, I believe, with the Lord's will for your life. There are times when we need to come to a decision when there are two or more routes that we could go. Which one shall we take? Frankly, there are times when we do not know. In those circumstances, the Lord will not send an angel to tell us, nor will he return on red or green lights to give us signals. He expects us to use the little consecrated and concentrated boldness. Therefore, we need to try the things that differ. That you may be sincere. Now, sincere is an interesting word, which comes from the Latin word, which means without works. When the Romans became a world power, they were a very strong and rather brutal people. They destroyed a great many of the earth's treasures of uh, Greece in many places. Evidence of that can actually be seen in the cities of Asia Minor. When the Romans reached the point of development in their culture, that they appreciated these things, they began now to gather them up. Many of them were broken. When there was a crack in a statue or a vase, a dishonest dealer would just fill it in with wax so that one couldn't tell that it had been broken. Then he would sell it as genuine, perfect peace, and an unsuspecting man would buy it, take it to his villa and display it in the garden. Or the next hot day, he would walk out and lo and behold, the wax would be running out of a crack in that lovely art treasure. Finally, the reputable art dealers began to put their materials, the word sincerus, meaning without wax. In other words, they guaranteed it was a perfect piece. So Paul is saying, don't be a phony, be real, be genuine, be sincere. Applying this to the previous verse, don't go around patting everyone on the back with a praise the Lord, hallelujah, and telling them how much you love them. If you are going to strike a knife in their back the minute they leave your presence. This is what he is saying here. Be sincere. Without offense means blameless, which should be a better translated because we cannot live the Christian life or preach the word of God without offense to somebody. Remember that people were offended at Paul's preaching? That is the reason believers should pray for their pastor if he is preaching the Bible. He is really giving out the word of God. There will be offense. He needs your support, your defense of him, your prayer for him. It is needed. It is absolutely needed. Till the day of Christ. Now this has reference to his coming for his own. This is the second time the rapture is mentioned in this epistle. And a child of God should walk in the light on the imminent return of Christ all the time. Philippians 1 verse 11 Being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now verse 11 delineates how should we want to appear, how they should appear before the one who judges each believer 
according to his works or her works, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Although salvation is by grace through faith alone, judgment will still be by works precluding, of course, the loss of salvation. Paul does not want them to lose their rewards. The fruit of righteousness are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit in the lives of the believers. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that fruit must be our fruit. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.